This is the Shopify Dropify, hosted by The Cut. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen a, a big jump in vitamins, nutraceuticals as well. Everyone's kind of at home thinking about their personal health, like, uh, maybe I should start taking my, my own health a little more seriously, and obviously like fitness brands too. And I think that brands like that, where they were able to capture a market share that didn't previously exist as easily for them, but they were able to capture that during these times, that will help them, you know, sort of succeed and keep those subscriptions in that audience and client base for the future. Yeah, that's kind of our, our key value proposition and obviously, you know, how we've how we've become successful in this space as making it easy as a for an actual merchant to offer sort of a best practice solution while also making it better for the end shopping experience. Welcome back to your Shopify dedicated podcast by expert e-commerce agency The Cut. It's called the Shopify Dropify. The Cut is here to help e-com businesses make online stores perform better by improving customer engagement and conversion. In this episode, Ben, co-founder of The Cut, talks to Matthew Steinbrecher from Reach, a Canadian company specialising in e-commerce payments. Matthew talks about the huge wins that come from giving shoppers easy access to local pricing and payment methods when they shop online. The conversation covers COVID, changes to the e-com landscape and more. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us again. I'm Ben. I'm your host on the Shopify Dropify. And today we're really happy to welcome Matthew Steinbrecher, who's coming to us all the way from San Francisco on behalf of Reach, who handle e-commerce payments. Welcome along, Matt. Thanks for joining us, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very good to be speaking to you. Very early in the morning for us here in Perth and uh, and a much more humane hour for you in San Fran. <laughs> Can you introduce Introduce yourself and give us an overview of um, Reach and what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Matt Steinbrecher. I'm the VP of Platforms and Partnerships here at Reach. Um, a little bit of background on on Reach, the company. We are really a global payments company. Um, so we've been around about seven, eight years now. And we have a sister company who's kind of been around since the early 80s and does a lot of corporate foreign exchange. And so they service a lot of very large enterprise, you know, corporations that are doing massive foreign exchange trading. And we kind of decided to take that complexity of big banking and bring it into, you know, sort of the technology and plugins um, and infrastructure of global e-commerce and help out with a lot of the multi-currency payments there. And, that, and in, in the digital space, having uh, having the backing of a company that goes back to the 80s, I mean, that's like that's like ancient history in digital, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we kind of, uh, we like to bring the best of both worlds as much as we can and, and help out uh, online merchants with their global sales. Well, I guess that uh, that legacy and that that uh, that learning and that trust and, and being very established is is incredibly important in the payment space, isn't it? Because it's what you need, you need trust around that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Originally I had come from sort of the the foreign exchange world as a previous foreign exchange broker myself and kind of coming into learning about e-commerce and the way that, you know, transactions are handled and obviously how quickly you know, these brands can grow from zero to say a hundred million within a year or two. And all yeah. these pure play startups you hear about in the e-commerce world, it's, it's definitely, it's always a, a strong need to have that, you know, seat at the big boy table, as I like to say, in terms of the big banking and infrastructure. So that's what we try to help out with. Yeah, completely. And in really simple terms, do you guys have a way to describe your mission at Reach? Yeah, it's really just bringing the best possible shopping experience to your 
international shoppers from all over the world. Uh, so yeah. streamlining that entire, you know, creating a frictionless shopping experience for any of your um, global shoppers. Awesome. And what's your role there? What, what are you doing day to day? So I originally sort of headed up um, our sales department and jumped into product ownership of our Shopify product. So we launched on Shopify about three and a half years ago um, okay. in the Shopify Plus space. And I really just kind of took that by the reins and ran with it. Um, at the time, it was a very, very basic solution. And, you know, we've grown that over the years based on client feedback and all the different market demands that, of course, are shifting every every other month. Um, and since then, have evolved now into um, sort of like a, a heading up of all of our platforms. So we do work across the Magento space. Um, as well as Salesforce Commerce Cloud, and then, of course, our Shopify Plus. Um, and I also head up a lot of our partnerships across agencies or vendors um, and any sort of third parties that kind of tie into the overall ecosystem uh, to just make our platforms better and obviously our partnerships better so that we can better service our clients. Okay, awesome. Um, so we're going to talk about like what's going on right now. And, and until recently, uh, at this point in our interviews, I would typically ask people what they thought of 2020 and being in a new decade. Uh, mm-hmm. And of course, over the last uh, few weeks or couple of months, that question has a very, very different spin to it for obvious reasons. So can you share your own experience of uh, COVID-19 and how you're seeing it affect the e-commerce landscape. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a hectic ride to say the least, and I think everyone around the world has has felt that. Um, Absolutely, you know, obviously in personal life, but as that translates to business as well, I think the the biggest thing, you know, we've we've obviously seen some brands in the online retail space, you know, with a massive drop in sales and have been really hit hard by this. Um, yes. And then others that have flourished and, you know, either pivoted or just it happens to be that, you know, they're selling a product that everybody now with these stay at home orders are buying uh, because they can't go out and traditionally buy it what they would do at, you know, a grocery store or a brick and mortar store. So there's definitely Completely. been a shift. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting when you hear about how many, and I don't want to, you know, sort of make light of anyone that is suffering. Of course, a lot of businesses are suffering and suffering badly, but it's also surprising how many different categories are actually getting a boom off, off the virus, you know, whether it be bicycles. I was talking to someone earlier this morning about bicycles and how the, all the bike shops are selling out of bikes to educational, to gardening supplies, to DIY supplies, um, you know, some beauty products and self-care categories are doing very well. It's an interesting yeah. one. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen a, a big jump in vitamins, nutraceuticals as well. Um, everyone's yep, kind of at yep. home thinking about their personal health, like, oh, maybe I should start uh, taking my, my own health a little more seriously. And obviously, like fitness brands, too, with the pivoting Completely. of closing, closing of gyms, going to online platforms and streaming services and all of yep. that sort of pivots in the ecosystem have been really beneficial for a lot of brands as well. Yeah, completely. Um, what, what's amazed you most about how things are changing in response to the virus crisis? To be honest with you, I would say that consumer spending has not necessarily decreased as much as what, you know, global indicators and, you know, economists, I guess you could say, are, are expecting. 
Um, I feel that with all the cash injections to not only small businesses, but also individuals getting unemployment, if they were laid off, people are still spending. And, you know, obviously that spending is transitioning from brick and mortar to now online because a lot of those stores are now closed, um, by government. But, you know, I, I'm surprised most that the spending is still keeping up, um, considering, you know, the downtimes and, you know, potential uncertain circumstances of you know, the, the global economy. And you're obviously, like, that's not just based on a gut feeling, you're obviously at the coalface of, of what is being transacted globally, aren't you? So you, you have sort of direct access to some pretty significant uh, information around that, I would have thought. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Oh, that's very good to hear. I hadn't, uh, I mean, I've heard people say different things and obviously, you know, but that that's, that's I guess, a very positive sign and potentially... Um, I don't know. Does that bode well? Do you think for the for the prospect of a of a um, quicker or smoother kind of return to normal once the once the virus sort of thing passes? Yeah, I do. I, it's a good indicator, um, given you know you look at the last global economic crisis of the housing market bubble in the United States. Um, that obviously decreased consumer spending very quickly, whereas here. I think people are still spending in anticipation of you know the governments globally are all trying to have the backs of their citizens and stimulate the economy with, you know, whether it's additional unemployment checks or obviously these small business loans that are going out around the world. So I think overall it will, it will be a strong rebound. And if it's not necessarily a strong rebound across all industries, I feel that the e-commerce industry due to this shift in consumer behavior that people have been forced upon around the world, the e-commerce industry and online retail will, you know, kind of come out ahead. Um, a little bit more yeah, so than it was already shifting. Yeah, completely. Well, it's exaggerating what was already happening, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, that's a good segue to my next question. So, I mean, assuming C19 is going to be relatively short term, and I think, you know, now is even of the last few days, certainly in Australia, we're starting to see, you know, the rollback of, of the restrictions and even hearing that in Italy they're starting to make moves to to return to normal as well. What sort of longer-term changes do you think it's going to bring to e-commerce that might kind of carry on when the, when, the, um, when the virus is a distant memory? Well, I think for a lot of the brands that have successfully pivoted um, or captured a market share that they may not have normally uh, had, like one, one example I've been seeing is uh, coffee brands, brands that just sell coffee, right? Yep. It's pretty much a staple. A lot of people buy coffee at the grocery store or their local, you know, coffee chain. But if you're getting a subscription to, you know, a coffee and you start to like it now, a lot of people drink coffee, if not every day, you know, a couple times a week. And it is kind of a staple of everyday home life. Absolutely. And I think that brands like that, where they were able to capture a market share that didn't previously exist as easily for them, but they were able to capture that during these times that will help them, you know, sort of succeed and keep those subscriptions in that audience and client base for the future. Um, and I think that that's sort of one major piece to it. And secondly is the overall shift in people who may have previously been brick and mortar traditional shoppers, um, maybe like a older type of generation that didn't really like e-commerce or just never really adapted to it. Yeah. I think we're going to start to see a shift in in just overall consumer behavior that is, again, as we were saying before, was sort of trending towards online, but now has been tried and true during these times of allowing people to, you know, buy online and successfully get the things that they need. 
yeah, um, I mean, during a time of it, it, yeah. it, everyone is saying that. I think your point about the subscriptions and grabbing new market share and, and getting someone onto your product and, and then they're going to stay is a really, really interesting one. Are there any other examples mm-hmm. around that, like apart from coffee, that you think you're seeing you're seeing that sort of thing happen? Yeah, I would say uh, same thing, similar sort of thing in in vitamins, um, supplements like nutraceuticals, yeah, okay. uh, and definitely fitness brands as well. Um, and the the change a lot from traditionally partnering with more like gyms, for example, yeah, versus now all these gyms have gone um, digital, and so now they're creating all these streaming services and subscription type services where they're partnering with all these brands. And now you have a whole new segment of an online platform that maybe a gym that's very, very popular in that country or that region didn't have before. And now these brands have access to that because now you're creating a digital presence of something that was traditionally, you know, a physical store or rather a physical gym. And you wonder, and so I see things like that. Yeah. 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 You wonder if, 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 if businesses that have pivoted and started to offer a service that was previously in person or physical, they've, they've pivoted and worked out ways to offer it digitally, that they'll continue to offer something along those lines in an e-commerce sense, even when they return to the, to the core of their business, which might be, you know, physical in-person gym classes. You would imagine that some of those things will, will remain because some people will con- want to continue to consume them um, via the internet or online. Yeah, and, and I agree. And I, I think that with most, most of those companies will continue to keep those services because they're obviously investing in them. They yep. pivoted at a time like this. And if it's successful, they're going to keep it, right? The infrastructure of whatever they created is there. And there's obviously some sort of trend of, you know, whether it's retaining user audience or maybe they're creating, again, new market share. I think it's something that a lot of people will continue to press on and just can, you know, offer it as a second product line or an additional product line to what they previously had. It's funny, isn't it? Because if, if there was some sort of global commander of the e-commerce sector and, and they were thinking, mm-hmm. you know, pre-COVID, oh, you know, it's great to see e-commerce growing so quickly and people are opening up online stores and, you know, unfortunately people are moving away from some physical stores, but that's a sort of a byproduct. You know, they, they'd be thinking... What could we do to accelerate this trend and increase the growth? And that's exactly what the virus has done for the e-commerce sector. It's really given a rocket to the whole expansion and, and development of e-com, hasn't it? It's probably pushed it forward like, I don't know, two years of, of growth and innovation in, in three months. Absolutely. And that's always how things work, you know, around the world. You know, you look at wartime experiences, right? People come together as a nation or as industries and they start to make really drastic changes. And, you know, unfortunately, this pandemic was a very drastic thing that affected everyone around the world um, and continues to as we speak today. But it is something that just stimulates innovation like none other, you know. And change and change and change in lifestyle and sort of reassessment and all of those things as well. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a very, very, um, it's quite a scary time, but it's also quite an exciting and really interesting time to see how people are responding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so let's, um, let's get one big learner from you if we can, Matt. What would be the best and highest value e-commerce business learning you could share with Shopify merchants right now? I would say take this time to really 
you know, know your brand truth, know your unique value proposition um, to your like respective audience or market that you're selling into and really nail it down and try to connect with that audience as much as you can. Yeah. Especially if you're, you know, pivoting or just an existing brand, this is a great time to sort of take a reassessment um, of where you're at in terms of, you know, just what your consumer expectations are, especially if you're looking in global markets and, you know, sort of what you're delivering. And this is a great time to focus in on that and really create that unique brand experience, right? You're trying to resonate with people as a brand so that they have some sort of assimilation with the product or service that you're selling or giving to them. Yeah, completely. I mean, to be honest, I didn't expect, of, of all the people that we interview, I thought the financial guy and the global foreign <laughs> exchange guy might not go in the branding direction, um, but it's really interesting and, I mean, I love it because we do a lot of work with, with e-commerce businesses on the brand and the way they communicate and the experience they, they create and how well they're engaging with the right people, the right customers. Um, and nearly everyone brings back the e-com thing to brand as being, you know, if not the top, then certainly the top one or two things that any business should focus on. So I was wondering if the financial guy from San Francisco would go <laughs> in that direction. Uh, but I love it. I love it that you have. And it's, and, and it's a good point too because where they might have a little bit of extra time, it's a good time to focus on that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so let's keep keep going with some more more advice because I think, you know, now more than ever um, people are hungry for, for information and they want to learn from all sorts mm-hmm. of different people operating in the, um, in the e-commerce ecosystem. So let, let's get some insights here based on, on what we are looking at um, right now with, the, with C19 and the changes that are, that are happening. How, how has, has, has C19 changed the payments environment for e-commerce at all? I think it's it's opened people's eyes a little bit more. Um, a lot of brands have actually particularly con, you know reached out to us more than they normally would okay. um, in terms of just inbound questions around hey, you know I was originally only selling in my domestic market in the United States or in Australia or wherever they're based and cross border wasn't as big of an initiative for them. Okay, but this whole thing sort of opened their eyes of how can we pivot, right? And if we can't be a brand that goes from having a physical good that's delivered to, you know, maybe a digital service or whatever in order to kind of, you know, capture revenue or new market share, a lot of them are now looking into, well, what markets can we service or sell into that we didn't previously um, go into? Okay. And that's where we are, are starting to see a lot of a change in the payments environment of people sort of looking for that, what's the best practice of offering payments to, this cross-border market um, and, you know, based on what my industry is and, you know, sort of what my value proposition is. I think that's, you know, the biggest thing that we're seeing in terms of what merchants are asking about and wanting knowledge around. Yeah, okay. Because Reach really focused on, on giving merchants a way, as you said earlier, to, to create a very kind of localised um, shopping slash payments experience in into each market, don't they? Yeah, precisely. And um, I think... As a pivot into that as well, um, I think a lot of people are also looking at, you know, their costs, uh, their hard line revenue costs of, you know, how much they have to pay out for particular things that do, you know, affect their bottom line. Yeah, completely. And that's 
that kind of shifts into the same sort of conversation of, okay, we want to move into a local market, um, but it's very expensive for us to process payments internationally, or maybe it's very expensive for us to ship internationally um, or acquire new customers internationally. And that's kind of one of the things that we always tell people is, well, look at your hard costs today. What are your shipping costs? What are your payment processing costs? What are the things that you can go to your vendors and your current partners that you have to pay for in order to be successful as a business? And in, in e-commerce, it's payments and shipping, right? Those are those are the two things. And of course, ad spend. Completely. Um, so those are kind of the pillars of your business and, and going back and looking at optimizing those costs. And reach can often offer merchants um, ways of reducing some of those ongoing constant fees, right? Yeah, absolutely. We have a, a pretty unique model in the space um, where we will kind of take a traditional payment processing model that would normally be cross-border and sort of flip it on its head. So we're always processing our payments local to the consumer, and that yields quite a few benefits for um, not only merchants but the end shopper as well. Um, yeah, when I was when I was researching you guys, that was sort of the nutshell that I took out of it was that you are putting it into that local context for the customer and for the merchant. That means they're kind of giving them a way to to avoid those bigger, um, you know, global or cross border payment implications. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's kind of our our key value proposition, and obviously, you know how we've how we've become successful in this space. As making it easy as a, you know, for an actual merchant to offer sort of a best practice solution, while also making it better for the end shopping experience. Um, and at the end of the day, it ends up saving them um, some money on their current costs. So wins on both that's sides. Quite a bit of an attraction. Yeah, absolutely. So right now, from your um, particular point of view in reach, what are the most important things that any e-commerce business should be focused on? I would say number one, sort of as I was just saying, look at your look at optimizing your hard costs that you have today. Yeah, um, making sure that any way you can, you know, optimize your current payout structures um, so that you can actually save anywhere you can. Pinching pennies today will save you quite a bit in the long run. Um, number two, I'd kind of go back to my first piece of of branding. Um, which is like really increase your retention and like your, your customer loyalty through just a better checkout experience. Um, and really just, you know, kind of making those touch points and not doing it in the way of here's what we're doing for COVID-19. And, you know, we have your back, um, because that's kind of generic, but doing something more sincere and talking to your customers yeah. and doing it from your brand name and your brand truth. Yep. Um, to really solidify that relationship, even if people are not buying from your site, it you know a little can go a long way, and, and being sincere with that is key. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, generic messaging around uh, COVID, isn't there? Um, and people slamming out oh, AD, yeah. ADM, saying we're looking after our staff and our customers, are, and it, it all very quickly becomes one big beige sort of COVID mess, and and completely meaningless. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was getting emails initially on. From my online bank saying we're here to help you with your online banking uh, during COVID-19 and I said I've never gone into an actual bank that I have with you guys so <laughs> it's uh it's a little ridiculous yeah. but 
yeah, I, I think sincerity is what people are really looking for here, especially con- from a consumer to a, a brand perspective. Yeah, completely. Sincerity is a great word, I think, and uh, and one that you mm-hmm. know, business owners should be able to relate to is, is you know, be sincere or, you know, authentic and transparent or other words, but sincerity kind of sums mm-hmm. it up, I think. If you can stand by it and, and if, you, if you think about your brand, if, if you could stand in front of a person and say that to them with meaning and with heart, then that's the sort of communication your brand should be doing to your customers and your community yeah absolutely and i guess that kind of brings me to my my third item here which would be play the long game and i think even if you know your sales are hurting as a brand or maybe your sales are skyrocketing if you're able to communicate sincerely to your audience and to your consumers in such a way that will resonate with them in the long run they're going to remember your brand they're not going to remember you know, the, uh, the online banking situation that I just said with, with my bank, right? Yeah, um, completely. I remember it because it was so obscene. But if, if I had really gotten an email from, you know, a merchant that I probably wouldn't be spending money on right now that said, hey, look, you know, we're going to give you something in, for the long run or whatever it may be, right? If that's some sort of discount code or maybe a free product for my next purchase, whatever it is, yeah. right? Everybody has their different styles. Completely. But playing the long game and, and really understanding... Um, how you can come out of this successfully because I do sincerely believe that the consumer behavior will shift in the favor of online businesses um, in the coming months and coming years and will really accelerate that whole process. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right and, and it's a really good point. Be, be remembered for doing something authentic and sincere and, and helping in a meaningful way that's right for the customer and matches what you're selling. Um, come back to your coffee yeah. example, it might be, you know, we, we know you're probably enjoying trying to enjoy more coffees at home than you ever have before in your life so we'd like to help you out with A, B and C to to help make your home coffee experience as awesome as possible. You know, that's kind of an off-the-cuff example of what we're talking about, isn't it, mm-hmm. in terms of that relevance? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move away from the COVID thing for a few minutes if we possibly can. Um, otherwise, we're going to run a risk of becoming generic and beige and being COVID, COVID, COVID. <laughs> so maybe some more. I agree. Yeah. yeah, maybe some more general e-commerce guidance from you, Matt, and your team at Reach. Where, where do you find the um, most e-commerce business owners have the biggest challenges around payments, um, whether they be local or international? I would say that payments are complicated yep. and international payments are even more complicated. Yep. And and digesting the complex consumer behavior of how people want to purchase around the world is not easy for a lot of brands. And oftentimes they get it wrong um, because they might not be you know, sort of doing their homework or understanding like, okay, well, why do people in this country buy in this particular manner? Uh, why did Afterpay explode in Australia over the last couple of years, right? Um, you know, why do Europeans want to pay with more debit direct bank transfer payment methods versus, or like post-purchase invoicing methods versus credit cards? Yeah. And I think those types of questions are the hard ones that a lot of people kind of know, like any U.S. merchant selling to Australia knows that Afterpay should be on their method, okay. uh, their payment method list. Um, but I think that they don't know the exact consumer behavior behind it because it's very complex, and they oftentimes stem from you know deep-rooted societal 
um, reasons. I, I think I can tell you about the afterpay thing. Australians just want it yesterday, <laughs> and they don't, and they don't want to, yep. and they don't want to pay for it until two weeks later. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'm being flippant. I would, have, I would have thought afterpay was extremely popular in America too, but I've never really thought about it before. But yeah, look, they're great examples, and obviously a lot of those reasons are, you know, are cultural, and and people just wouldn't suspect a lot of those differences. You kind of assume, oh, you know, internationally we're all using credit cards or, or we, we're all using, you know, payment method A, B and C and nothing else. But, I mean, even a few of the things you touched on there, I was thinking, yeah, right, I did, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your, yeah. what, what do you think is the single most important part of the e-commerce ecosystem that a merchant should never ignore? And I think we've covered brand, but maybe one other one that's yeah. not branding. Yeah, I would, I would go back to my strength and, and say payments. Yep. Um, it is the backbone of your business and the infrastructure of you being successful. And oftentimes, because it's complex, a lot of people like to shy away from it or not necessarily dig into the numbers. Yeah. Um, but in very basic examples, um, we recently launched with an Australian-based brand, and we helped them with their payment processing in the United States. And we overnight helped them increase their sales by almost 10%. Wow. Just bottom line revenue increased by 10%. And that's purely because of the way that they were routing their transactions and the way that they were set up. But they never thought to look at the payments, right? They're always looking at, well, why is my ad spend, my cost per clicks going up, but my conversions are going down, or, you know, I'm getting huge card abandonment here at the checkout, what's going on. And a lot of times it has to do with payments, but brands don't necessarily think to look at that piece yeah. because they sort of take it for granted, even though it's such a crux of your business. So it, it, that's what I would say is, is definitely the most important. That, that's interesting. I think, um, I mean, I, I would be guilty of that myself as you kind of think about this as about payments as well. Yeah, it's just it's just a mechanical thing that sits there and, and does it does its thing and there's not mm-hmm. really much to understand or change or tweak and everyone's focused on the front end and, and changing and tweaking and optimising their ads or their their site design or, or trying to up the conversion from the front end, whereas there might be um, some big financial gains to have a look at have a look at those things in the back, the payments and how that's working because there are opportunities there as well. Yeah, completely. And so it's sometimes digging into uh, Pandora's box, and you know, a lot of times you can find some gold in there that really helps your business um, with its operations and. Yeah, I, I encourage people to <laughs> look into the rabbit hole and see what they can find. Yeah, it's great because usually it's not that complex. Great advice, and and if there's if there's uh you know if there's margins to be made or or profits to increase in that avenue, I'm sure people will be inspired by what you're saying to have a second thought about that. Um, yeah. What yeah, What are course. the top two most common mistakes you see Shopify store owners making? I would say either minimal localization. Um, so I, I work with a lot of global brands, right? I think that's kind of obvious at this point. So I, yes. I help a lot of them with their cross-border. Um, so either no localization at all or very, very minimal localization. Okay. Um, like, hey, we ship internationally, but there's no currency localization or you know, there's no sort of indications on what duties and tax might look like depending on where it's going, things like that. Um, a little bit of localization, from, especially from the initial landing page. Um, even if it's local currency or any sort of, you know, tailored pitch, 
um, really goes a long way in terms of, you know, checkout increases, uh, or, you know, conversion rate increasing. Understandable. So I would say minimal localization and the, the second piece to it would be overly complex models. Um, so working with the very big brands uh, that might have omnichannel and things like that. Sometimes I see very fast growing e-commerce brands looking at some of the bigger players. Like, how do I compete with ASOS? Well, this is what ASOS did, or this is what Amazon does. And I'm now going to start and do this as an e-commerce brand who only sells, you know, 20 million, 50 million, even a hundred million a year, but that's not the right move for my brand right now. Yeah. And you make sort of your operational, your operational day-to-days way overly complex. Um, so it's, it's generally one spectrum or the other that I see quite often yeah, um, okay. as I help brands with their global structuring. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And if you're talking about, you know, with your team or, or clients or, or other people in the, in the e-com or, or the transactional space, what's the most common sort of question you hear or the most common topic um, you end up talking about, do you think? Usually it's consumer behavior. Okay. Um, I would say that's, that's usually one of the hot topics. Um, if it's not that, it's how can I make a very complex offering to said consumer behavior easy for me to implement on my website? Um, so there's, you know, there, there's a lot of complexity to appeasing all of your consumers internationally. Cause of course you have to hyper localize to each of those checkout experiences. Yeah. Um, but like I said, a little goes a long way in terms of conversion rate and, you know, lifetime customer loyalty and things like that. So, um, yeah, I would definitely say consumer behavior is the biggest. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so coming back to the current situation, Matt, how do you see the e-commerce landscape changing on the other side of COVID? What what, what does your uh, crystal ball show you in that regard? Um, coming back, I guess, to the idea that you've got some uh, access to some pretty current uh, financial data as, as it's happening globally. Yeah, I think it really comes back to, you know, the, the change in consumer behavior globally. Um, not just nuance to each individual market, um, but really just people being more open to buying goods and services online versus you know brick and mortar yeah. because they've been forced to be at home all this time. Yeah. Um, also increased you know brand awareness uh, mainly because website traffic is going up like crazy. Um, you know I think Shopify just came out and said that they've been consistently at Black Friday Cyber Monday in terms of traffic because everybody's going online. Wow. Um, yeah, so I, I think that there's a lot of, of you know, long-term results that will happen from, like we said, this very short-term, hopefully, you know, three to four-month period of massive and quick innovation and movement within the industry um, that will actually have a very long-lasting effect. Um, so my crystal ball would say, you know, I think overall e-commerce will come out ahead um, when all is said and done yeah. um, due to that shifting openness of consumer behavior and people that want to now shop online that might not have before. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how the second half of uh, 2020 plays out, um, particularly uh, in, you know, in the e-commerce space, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But we're all in it for the long haul. So <laughs> as you said, mate, we've got to be playing the long game, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're pretty much at the end, Matt. Um, do you have any final insights or, or news from Reach or anything else you'd like to share before we say thank you and finish up? Um, 
I think I would just say if, if there are any brands that are listening, um, we do help out from a consultative perspective in terms of, you know, if, uh, if you have any questions about global payments, we like to offer, offer a lot of educational resources in terms of some of that, you know, nuanced consumer behavior that I was alluding to and complexities with foreign exchange and payment methods and all the little things. So, um, you know, we're here to help and feel free to reach out if, you know, anyone would like some more educational material and, Ben, I'll be sharing that with you as well so you can share that across your platform. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. I mean, I think we've probably just sort of scratched the surface and had a very small look at the tip of a very big iceberg here and you've obviously got a Mm -hmm. a lot of expertise to share. Um, Thanks so much, Matt. It's been excellent having you. Really appreciate uh, your time and and for Reach for for giving up your time uh, this afternoon, the slash this morning. Really cool to have you on the Shopify Dropify. Thanks heaps for joining us. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. I'm sure we'll connect again soon. Um, Have a really good short term and an awesome long game as we come out the other side and move forward with 2020. Yeah, appreciate it. You as well. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for tuning in. Please get in touch with Ben and Scott and their team at The Cut if you need help with your online store. They're here to help with store launches, redesigns, app integrations and maxing out your customer engagement and conversion. Please share this podcast. We drop two apps a month featuring new conversations with e-commerce experts, Shopify merchants and app developers. If you want a guest on this podcast, contact The Cut or visit thecut.net.au. Thanks for listening. Access e-commerce expertise from The Cut anytime. Visit thecut.net.au and connect on Facebook and LinkedIn.